Yes, good people, it's Francis here from Let's Do Humans podcast. This is just a quick announcement, just to encourage everybody here that's listening to our podcast right now, just to ensure that you subscribe and you follow us on all of the various platforms out there that produce podcasts, that's subscribing to us on YouTube, following us on iTunes and Spotify. I mean, follow us, make sure that you share our content and continue your support, that'll be greatly appreciated. That's Let's Do Humans, L-E-T-S-D-O-H-U-M-A-N-S, Let's Do Humans, one word. Appreciate all of your support. Stay blessed, good people. It's, it's been a tricky period i mean it's, it's been an incredible year or so and i remember our, our previous conversation we were just sort of having like basic conversations in regards to what the coronavirus was and explaining it to my um, um audience in particular and explaining the the process of how the virus travels and how to best tackle it and during this time there's been so many variations and so many changes in people's thoughts and ideas of what the coronavirus is and i remember one of the interesting things that we were touching on was in regards to um the immune system it was one of the past that people really enjoyed in regards to how you explained um, the best way to take care of your immune system which is to be relaxed you know drink coffee stay calm stay away from things that makes you anxious but it feels like we've become even more anxious now and we've become even <laughs> we've become even more worried and um, that was one of the reasons why so one of my friends sent me um he just sent me um they our podcast that we've done yeah. and he said so, I mean, what, what, what can the doctor tell us now? Because he goes, I felt great and relieved after watching that episode, but I feel more anxious. And I was like, yeah, it would actually be a great idea to get him back on and particularly speak about the vaccine because that's been like the new talk sure. of the town and everyone seems yeah. to be extremely there's a there's a part that it's kind of we're kind of split in the middle you know there's one side that see the good in vaccines and look at the historics in regards to some of the um, major pathogens that's prevented us from dying from but others also are worried in regards to um the the main issue i find is the time scale that people are really extremely worried about and then also there's various other things that i think some are very far-fetched in regards to some of the weird conspiracy theory stuff and some of the misinformation that's being passed online but on this base what is a um, a vaccine on, on this yeah. on, on a fundamental level? Sure. So so let's start from the beginning. A vaccine mm. is not a drug. Uh, it's not going to kill the virus. No. Uh, a vaccine is going to be an additional tool to your immune system, so you can teach it what to recognize as a foreign uh, object, if you will, in your body. So the vaccine will teach the immune system what the SARS-CoV-2 virus looks like mm -hmm. and how to identify it. Okay. So uh, by analogy, imagine that you like to hunt and now it's your opportunity to train your dogs to catch your prey once you shoot it. So you have to take them through a process to understand that for them is when they go after the prey, they're not going to eat it or bury it. They're going to grab it and bring it to you. That's what the vaccine does. It teaches the immune system that once you look and recognize something like a prey, you have to attack it and destroy it. You have to remove it. You don't give it an opportunity to grow inside you and duplicate, and then it's going to infect various organs. Yeah. So 
where we are now, I think people have to understand that we are lucky in a way that technology has helped us for the first time in decades where we needed it to provide us with a variety of vaccines. I know people are concerned because these vaccines were developed very quickly, yeah. they were taken through the process very quickly. But at the same time, uh, people have to understand like we have experts at every decision-making process of whether this vaccine would have a utility or not. Okay, so where we are now, we are at a really bad situation. Uh, we let the vaccine, uh, the virus spread. So we can't talk about the numbers anymore because they don't, as I told you several months ago, they don't mean anything. And now you can confirm for yourself that they actually don't mean anything, but they'll just make you more worried. We let the, vac uh, we let the virus spread. Now, uh, this virus is doing what viruses do. It's adapting. It's touching and feeling us humans and seeing where if they make this change, they're going to die. If they make this change, they may stay with us longer. And uh, what is happening now during this adaptive phase is this virus pretty much has decided that he wants to live with us and he wants to build some sort of symbiotic relationship with a human being. And it's a good thing, it's a bad thing. Uh, it's a bad thing because we can't kill it. The, the virus is here to stay. Uh, it's a good thing because we will start seeing things stabilizing around the world. But the danger is that all our um, hospital infrastructure is at the brink of collapse. And not just in developed countries, not just in the United States, Britain or France, it's everywhere around the world. Mm. Uh, we have the white army, these are the healthcare workers, they are tired. Yeah. You know, some of them are even committing suicide mm. uh, because it's a non-stop, right? So this virus hasn't given us a break. So what do we have? We have a vaccine and what has been the utility of these vaccines since we started vaccinating folks since December, it has been only a few months, uh, is that we are seeing that the numbers of uh, people getting sick very quickly has been reduced uh, because these vaccines appear to work uh, beside the clinical trials. Uh, in the field, they seem to work. We start seeing the uh, infection stabilize. We start seeing breathing pockets or hospitals. We start seeing for the first time the numbers of uh, patients in the ICU going down. We start seeing the number of patients going to the emergency room going down. So it's a good thing, but it's a start. Yeah. And what we should be really focusing on is uh, how can we vaccinate as many people as we can? Okay. It doesn't mean that we have to vaccinate 100 per, 100% of any given population. I think if we reach 50% of vaccinations, as an example for an age group 18 to 65, we'd be doing very well. Uh, I think for folks over the age of 65, they are the most vulnerable. But if we stop the supply chain of the virus to get to them, we're going to protect them anyways. 
So I think it's really important that we prioritize and we have to make sure that people should not be fearful of these vaccines. I have uh, heard every single uh, uh, theory yeah. of the vaccine is gonna interact with your DNA, is gonna make you this, is gonna make you this, a vaccine is gonna do this. And that's not really true. Uh, I think for the first time, uh, as an example, the vaccines from Pfizer and Moderna, they are new technology called messenger RNA. And what that technology does, it's going to randomly infect some of the cells with this message to produce part of the virus, to produce really the prey to teach your immune system what to look for. And it's going to degrade after that. And what we are hoping is the immune system will build a memory, we call them the B cells, mm -hmm. that will continuously make these very good neutralizing antibodies that are going to recognize the virus and kill it. Okay. So, do these vaccines work? Well, the clinical trials gave us some very good idea about uh, their efficacy. Mm -hmm. uh, it was only on average less than a hundred thousand people. I understand people are skeptic. Why do you take data based on a hundred thousand people and you try to apply it as an example to a population of Britain of 70 million people? Yeah. Uh, yeah, statistically, it doesn't make sense. But that's not the point because traditionally all our drug approval system has been similar to this or even worse, meaning yeah. less people tested. We are in a pandemic and what the regulatory agencies in England, in Europe and in the United States focused on are really the side effects, right? As you know, the first time the Pfizer vaccine was deployed in England, there were cases of allergies. Yeah, and they had, they had to stop the trial for a period which caused quite a bit of controversy online because there was the assumption that someone had passed away. So then it kind of reignited the fears in people. And, uh, you know, <clears throat> To me, that that from the uh, from the get go was not very worrying, for the reason is uh, by analogy. So your uh, listeners understand if you are allergic to peanuts, and you go to buy a bag of chips, it always says be careful because the same uh, plant that manufactured the chips was used to manufacture products that contain peanuts. Yeah. Right. It means there's going to be a little bit of peanuts in one of the crisps bag, right? Mm -hmm. uh, if you are really the lucky one, you're not going to get it. If you are the lucky one, you're going to get it. For these vaccines, because the production has been pushed under stress, because you need to produce millions and millions, so you have to imagine the people working in these plants trying to do their best to produce these vaccines, and while they're doing this work, they're wearing latex gloves, they're wearing plastic gloves, they're wearing protective gear, they're wearing masks. So during that process of production, at some point, there's going to be some contamination somewhere. And that, contam and that contamination would be perhaps one in a million or one in 10 million. Mm -hmm. And if you are a lucky one that happened to be allergic to latex, you're going to get some allergic reaction. Yeah. But we can handle that. And we haven't seen people uh, really dying from this. We have seen people 
really develop some strong uh, immune reactions. You know, we give them a very nice epi injection and some people do well. And what that has changed, it has changed the way we vaccinate people. Now we ask them questions about their allergies. And if you say that you have allergies to something, when we give you the shot, we're going to keep you there for at least half an hour and see whether you go into a shock or not. Yeah, I took my friend to take her vaccine um, just the other day and she had to sit down for 10 minutes or 10 to 15 minutes um, prior to them letting her go. Um, I, I'm Personally, one of the questions that was um, kind of worrying people initially was when the vaccine was being, pro um, when the vaccine was being produced, um, we we're constantly being told by news and professionals and people in the medical field that it on average usually takes two to five years to create a vaccine. So then to hear that a vaccine has now come out after 10 months or so, there was that initial uproar and worry. So what is it about current technology that enabled that to happen and why should we still consider that to be safe considering this? speed in comparison to what we were told initially? Uh, very good question. Uh, and I think this is where the people who talk about this, uh, if I may say, they have been blowing their horns for the wrong reasons. Mm. Why? You have to remember that the first SARS that visited us in 2000, we have already started producing vaccines against the first SARS. So, if you will, we started this process of developing these vaccines 20 years ago. But because uh, two or three years later the virus disappeared, those uh, initiatives or the scientists that were working on those vaccines took a break because there is no pandemic, there is no threat. But the technology that they developed did not disappear, it went to the freezers, it went to uh, you know, the deep sleep, and they forgot about it. In 2012, the second MERS uh, virus, which is a SARS, came in Saudi Arabia, and these people start developing the same vaccines, right? So when the third SARS came, SARS-CoV-2, I think those guys had uh, a very good head start of development. So we knew that this virus enters, infects us through this protein called the spike protein that everybody talks about. Yeah. about. And they have already built uh, tools that would be uh, considered advanced in technology and they can deploy them very, very quickly. Okay. Mm -hmm. So it's not like we started cooking without the recipe book mm. and we just try different recipes until we get something. We actually had a recipe book that started in uh, uh, around 2000 when the first SARS-CoV came. So we had the tools already and it was very fast to deploy them now because we know which part of the virus to target and we know exactly how to make it, the cooking, Mm. so that we'll end up with a vaccine that's going to be uh, efficacious and it's going to work against this virus. Yeah. It doesn't mean that we really did something that normally takes five years in two months. It means that we started doing this in the year 2000, I think 2001, 2002. Yeah. So the process had begun. SARS, yes, when the first SARS came and people really went to their deep freezers got their old technology out, they thawed it, they warmed it up, and they started working on it.
So we gained almost, let's say, 15 years of knowledge already. Yeah. Um, few months. Yeah, in, in, in regards to sort of, um, so the, my friend who I said I took to get her vaccine, her biggest worry was the whole issue in regards to um, fertility. And um, I, I was having this discussion with her as we we're, were driving up to it and yeah. we're discussing the whole concept of there's not enough data in regards to um, women who had previously taken the vaccine and how later on in life they dealt with having children and similar to men as well and there's, there's been a lot of debate there's been a lot of information online regarding a p possible effect on fertility what, what what is the reason for that debate and is there any medical evidence that this that vaccines in general and in particular this vaccine may affect fertility in men and women uh you know this is what i i, I find incredibly uh impressive from one sense because we have this freedom of speech mm. and on the other side is all this hype and misleading information yeah so before we had a vaccine people start saying this virus will infect the ovaries of women the testicles of men mm. and it's going to make us infertile okay mm. so that went on for a while until it was all proven uh, wrong with vaccines, uh, uh, so vaccines and men, we don't have many issues in terms of fertility. Vaccines and women, we have one big issue, and that is, do you vaccinate pregnant women or not? Mm. It doesn't affect the fertility, right? What we are concerned about is the consequence if a woman presents herself to her doctor, let's say she is six months pregnant, do you vaccinate her or not? Because of ethical reasons, we don't include pregnant women in clinical trials, so we don't have that data. Okay. So now uh, we are trying to do some follow-up trials with pregnant women, and in some clinical trials, by sheer chance, some of the women that had the first dose of vaccine got pregnant. So when they had the second dose, they were pregnant. And they were following them up until they gave birth. And then the question was, because it's a small number, were there any abnormalities of the development of the fetus or for the whole pregnancy compared to any other general situation? And the, there were not really very strong red flags of danger or red flags of the fetus didn't develop very well because of the vaccine. Uh, now those women, they stay in a high risk group because they are pregnant. And I think different agencies around the world are trying to figure out how they can safely do the trials and monitor and make sure that no harm comes to the uh, mother and to the baby. Yeah, that that, that makes sense. Because um, in, so what you're saying is that because the data is not there, that's why sometimes when it comes to um, the information we're giving in regards to women um, and pregnant ones in particularly, there is none because there is no um, yeah there is no data on it because effectively they're not given the vaccine during the trial period, yeah. which makes a lot of sense. But then you know as you said re regarding freedom of speech, that's where you know these theories then derived from because they're not presented with the information that's necessarily given to them you derive to your own ideas as to why they're not yeah. giving me this information um which is very interesting um why are all vaccines not 100 effective and what's the reason behind that 
So, uh, because we are not all the same. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, each one of us, uh, so we have our genetic background that we get from our parents. So, 50% is from your father, 50% is from your mother. Mm-hmm. And then you have your environment effect on your genetics uh, from the day you were born until you turn 30 or 40 years old, your genetics and your environment is different to various people, okay? You know, the environment obviously include where you live, include the air you breathe, include the food you eat, include whether you are an organic person or you are somebody who likes to eat salami every day, uh, even processed food. So all this uh, uh, affects you. Why? Because from the day you're born, your immune system is brand new, Mm. right? And it's starting to uh, build itself to protect you. And as we go through the process of vaccinations when we are babies, and when we get to school, we get all these vaccines that some of them we love because it comes in a nice, uh, you know, sugary lump that we take, and it's so sweet, and others is an injection. Mm. And, you know, for kids, we hated injections, right? So you keep doing these vaccines, to protect you, to teach your immune system. And then your immune system, uh, you know, learns uh, a very binary mechanism. Uh, what I have is this self, meaning it's mine, so I can't attack it, or it's a non-self, it's a foreigner, I need to attack it, and I need to teach my immune system to recognize it. Mm-hmm. So now imagine uh, you are at the age of 40, and there are 30 of us, and each one of us lived in a completely different environment on this planet, and we all enroll in the same clinical trial, getting exactly the same vaccine yeah. on the same day. You know, they're gonna put us in the same hotel. We live together during the whole process of vaccination, which we call a controlled environment. At the end, the vaccine is not gonna work 100% on every one of us. Yeah, it's going to end up with different results. That's that's fair enough. Um, so I I was asked the most important question, which was, you know, everyone gets asked this nowadays: is if you offered a vaccine, would you take it? And um, when I was asked the question, I answered it fairly um, well, as honest as I possibly could. I said I wouldn't take it, and the reason being is nothing to do with like conspiracies or any worries that I had. But I just feel like as a young, healthy person who's not in the vulnerable. Um, a group of individuals my natural immune system is is fine to deal with it when you look at the scope of things and the, the probability of me um surviving serious illness because everyone in my family has has had um the virus and yes. i was i was around them so i'm assuming i had it at some point maybe i was asymptomatic or whatever but i just refused to take the test so everyone in my house was being tested like we're doing a home test and everyone had it apart from myself and um there was about three of us in my household that had no symptoms whatsoever and that's including myself and i was the only one that didn't take it and you know the elderly ones the parents they had the symptoms as as you would um, um imagine yeah. so i said look i feel like in terms of forcing people into taking the vaccine that shouldn't be a case there's there's different I mean, there's a different, completely different debate when we're talking about those who work within the health industry and those who directly deal with patients and so forth. That's a completely more comp- complex debate as in whether they should be forced into it. But I feel like as a healthy young person, my natural immune system should be fine and I don't necessarily need to take an alien um, um, 
product into me, regardless of all the conspiracy stuff. But how important is natural immunity when we talk about the vaccine? And in your own view, who do you feel like should take the vaccine? Is it everybody or should it be specifically a group of individuals that should be protected and then the rest of society should deal with it um, as normal? And the reason why I ask that is because I personally feel like, you know, it's, it's the early stages of the vaccine. We don't have sort of like long-term live data on it and, you know, the long-term prospects of maybe side effects and so forth. And that's my reason for not wanting to take it as a young, healthy individual. Yeah. So a very good question. I think I get asked that question a lot. Mm. Uh, personally, I got vaccinated. I took the Pfizer vaccine and uh, I got vaccinated uh, my first dose right at the time where in the United States, they administered 5 million uh, doses to 5 million people, okay? And uh, the nice thing in the United States is there is a live database that you can go in and you can check and follow uh, what the side effects are, right? So for me, it was not more a fear of putting something foreign into me. It was more of... Uh, uh, do we start recapitulating the data from a clinical trial in the field where now the people who are vaccinated are picked up randomly? Hmm. Because during a trial, they are selected. So there is a criteria of inclusion, whether I will include Francis in the trial or not. And Francis has to meet, let's say, 15 different criteria, right? So now we are out vaccinating people randomly. The reason why, if you get a chance to be vaccinated, uh, you should consider it. And I think vaccination is one of those ethical issues that people should never be forced to be vaccinated. Mm -hmm. uh, we already see this concept of forcing people to be vaccinated in Britain and in France to do with the elderly, which I think it's very unethical to go to somebody who's 80 or 90 years old and try to convince them to vaccinate unless there is a member of their family present who can explain to them because vaccination is a choice okay now who gets vaccinated and why uh, if we were having this conversation in april of last year and we had the vaccine i would tell you that everybody in the you know, the age group where they are vulnerable to infections, uh, people who work in the healthcare services, people who do essential jobs. Uh, but we passed that phase of the virus propagating. We are in a phase where the virus is adapting. It means soon we're going to reach an equilibrium of infections, uh, meaning that we're not going to see so many new infections or a new wave of infections or a new peak. I think we passed all that because the virus is here to stay. The virus has kind of figured out how to live with us. So for me, we have a chain of events. So people under the age of 18, I personally don't see the reason why they should be vaccinated. And you're absolutely right. For that age group, they shouldn't put anything foreign like this in their body uh, because we are always exposed to different beta coronaviruses that are not going to harm us. Some of them make us uh, almost feel a little bit like the flu and then they disappear. Mm. People for the age of 18 to 65, and this is the biggest problem. These are the people who move a lot. These are the people who do uh, jobs. These are the people who are out doing works. These are the people that by chance or by randomness will have 
the opportunity to get infected. Mm. And these people, we don't want them to be sick because we want our school to reopen, we want our economies to reopen, yeah. and this workforce. So these people are the people that we make sure that they are healthy enough so they can sustain and break the transmission from those under the age of 18 to those over the age of 65. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think many countries now are, I hope, changing their notion of who to vaccinate and why. And also uh, changing the, their notion of really setting up vaccination grids, right? Because if you don't do vaccination grids, you really don't, you will not be able to learn any epidemiological consequences on vaccinations, right? So you have, uh, uh, you have to do it. As an example, in Britain, Boris Johnson messed up everything. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's, yeah. I mean, it's, to me, it's sad because I have yeah. friends in England who actually work for the NHS and they got infected thanks to the NHS. Yeah, that's right? how it came into my family because I, um, my, one of my parents work in the NHS and then, you know, yeah, brought, brought into the home. Yeah, yeah. so it, it, it kind of, you know, he, he created this unnecessary pressure where the percentage of people resisting this vaccine is just creeping up. Right, and he can't force them to take it. Uh, you know, similar thing is happening in some countries in Europe, right? And then you go to a country like Israel, which is a small country with less than 10 million people. You know, they had a very nice grid system to vaccinate people, and people were really eager to get vaccinated because they want to get to their normal life, the new life. Uh, but then they found a huge problem with the ultra-Orthodox religious people yeah who are really anti-vaccines yeah. right so how you know so now we went from trying to help to now to a kind of uh a religious political uh problem that's going to be very difficult to handle uh for uh, uh the israeli government of how they can really achieve and vaccinate everybody because if they can do that i think they can open up and get back to, to normal. To normal. Uh, yeah, I think the uh, the strategy, the original strategy, was based on the highest percentage of people going to the hospital are of a certain age or certain comorbi comorbidities, mm -hmm. and I think the idea was if we vaccinate these people, then uh, we're going to reduce the stress on hospitals. Yeah. This is the first mission of the vaccine, right? Is just to reduce the stress on the hospitals. Because if we can stabilize that, then we can move down uh, the age group or the food chain, if you will, and we're going to vaccinate those with time. Yeah. But the problem as this virus is adapting, you have to do that very, very rapidly. You can't be complacent and think that you're going to vaccinate people over a period of five years. Then you defeat the, the actual purpose of vaccinating people. And I think, I don't believe that we have to vaccinate everybody. I think if we reach 50% uh, vaccination of the group 18 to 65, plus perhaps some of the over 65, some with the comorbidities, I think will be in a very good situation to completely stabilize the propagation of the virus, to completely uh, reduce 
all the stress at the level of hospitals mm -hmm. and provide the opportunity for what you described earlier, Francis, natural immunity or herd immunity to kick in yeah. and kind of uh, take care of the rest. Yeah. If we do that, I think we'll be very, we'll be very successful. In a better place. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, speaking to a lot of um, my family members and friends who work within the NHS, um, there was a common theme in regards to the people that were hospitalized and seriously ill. And they talked a lot about like, you know, people that apart from having like, you know, one or two um one or two like illnesses and stuff they, they said it was a it was a large scope of overweight people so people that had you know overweight issues and um, it brought about a question about you know why it seems like governments and pharma as as, yeah. as people like to put it never really promote the idea of like you know healthy lifestyles and exercise and the, the importance of those things and people tend to ask the question then is there some sort of like a medical agenda or is it because that we're stuck in this pandemic that's kind of hit us now that the focus now has to be on the medical side like what is there what should the focus be going forward so i think i think last time i i if i remember correctly we touched based about uh, the the power of the lobbyists mm. with governments right and these lobbyists are not just pharmaceutical companies they're the mm. people behind coca-cola and pepsi yeah and there are people behind the companies that make this the actual crisps there'll be uh, people behind companies that make video games. So, uh, because of this, people have so much money to influence the political decisions that get made in any country. Uh, it's very hard uh, at any given point in time uh, to catch them mm -hmm. because they are very, very slicky. And politicians are exceptionally good liars, so you can never figure out anything they say. What this pandemic has done, this pandemic has opened Pandora's box on the healthcare system in every country. Mm. You know, forget third world countries, we don't blame them, right? Mm. But if you look at countries like Britain, like Germany, uh, if you remember when we were talking, Germany was praising all their efforts against the virus. Yeah. So what happened after that? <laughs> yeah. What happened after that? You know, they had almost a rebellion by their people protesting in the street. Yeah. So it, 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 it really uh, underlines this uh, possible agenda of how the healthcare system was controlled, not, not likely by the people who should make the decisions, but by politicians and the lobbyists influencing them to get us to where we are today, right? Mm -hmm. As an example, in the US, you know, uh, during the Obama administration, uh, you know, the word obesity became part of the language that people try to tackle obesity at the level of kids at school and so forth. And I think the former first lady, Michelle Obama, did a really good job of awareness. Yeah, she started a serious campaign. Yeah. But she couldn't finish the job because you can you can do the awareness campaign you can bring people to understand the problem but when you go at the level of schools or at the level of shops or at the level of you know when the kid leaves their home uh, early in the morning to go to school and they have pocket money where will they go afterwards to spend that that, that pocket money you can't control it because yeah. of this almost uh, 
economical desire for having people to spend and getting them hooked up on these drinks or hooked up mm. on these uh, video games that they sit, they don't move, they don't exercise. So we see less and less of people doing that. But even when you make this uh, initiative, you can't accomplish it because you get stuck with these lobbyists at every every corner you turn they are there influencing politicians to either don't take that bill to congress or uh, they will file lawsuits against you when the governor of new york uh at the time it was bloomberg to reduce the size of drinks for kids yeah just to reducing the size of drink wow they took him to court and he couldn't do that so this 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 pandemic really opened that pandora's box why? Because now we see the exact number of these obese people. Mm. Now understand these obese people have a really serious healthcare problem and they are vulnerable to all these infections. So they are really, uh, if you will, uh, in a category similar to somebody who has a long-term disease. It's mm. unless they get out of that obesity, they will be taken care of by the NHS as an example, right? Yeah. And, and now now it's kind of double trouble because you have an illness here of obesity and then you have the virus on this side and to me it was really amazing how uh, you know I, I really talk about developed countries where you're always under the impression that they have everything under control mm. uh, you know you hear of one or two cases and then the stories die off and then the virus came and opens this box and now we are seeing that there are all these inequalities across the healthcare mm. system of these developed countries. Yeah. The underlining is always, for me, is to do with this uh, relationship between lobbyists and uh, the politicians. Yeah, that's a really important um, point of argument because it's, it's such an intriguing battle because we, we, we live in a capitalist society. So the, the these organizations are a part of us. They pretty much run a lot of the, a lot of the um, things that's happening in and around us. So it's very difficult to have that. But um, in terms of us being exposed in the developed countries, there's been so many issues here in the UK. There's been various reports that's come out in regards to inequalities, in regards to um, issues with race and, and, and the medical field and how um, um, black people are perceived within the medical field and also when you look at social economics who who does the jobs within the hospitals who's who's the porters at the hospital who are the security guards to the hospitals and and how they're taking care of in regards to maybe like the consultants or the doctors so it's really exposed us it's really opened opened us up to various things like we're walking around with silent illness that being obese and overeating and there's a movement which i'm always against and i'm having various debates with friends which is the new body positive movement in regards to like people that are overweight and i understand the i understand i understand what constitutes abuse and abusing someone for their weight and what and what constitutes like you know praising someone for possibly being ill and are seeing as something positive there's there's i mean positivity should be looked at as being healthy and you know not being exposed to such illnesses which we're currently facing right now and all of these things are coming out and i hope that going forward is something that we look at with a more like open and, and, and more progressive mindset instead of just praising and living a lifestyle which has a detrimental effect on us in the long run um so in regards to like the, the vaccine and the boost is, is is it essential to take the second dose and if you don't take the second dose what effect does that have uh very good question so uh the first dose is to get your you know depending 
you know, let's let's go back and ask a question: Why some vaccines are one dose and some vaccines? Oh yes, are yeah. yeah. Why is that, right? Mm. And uh, so when they do the uh, when they do the clinical trials, the first phase of the trial, typically they have several doses, right? Mm. Because they try to really narrow down the best dose that's going to elicit an immune response. Okay, mm. and then the second dose if you will, is really after three weeks, it's kind of uh, a booster. It's mm -hmm. kind of really help induce these memory cells. Uh, so your body now recognizes what the virus looks like as a memory. So it will memorize that and keep it there until the day you die, right? Mm -hmm. uh, what had happened uh, because of uh, the new technologies, so the messenger RNA Vaccines are really new technologies, never been tested before at this level. Uh, the vaccines from AstraZeneca, Johnson & Johnson, and I think from uh, the Russian Sputnik V and from Sinopharm, the Chinese company, is another technology using a virus uh, that was never tested before at this scale. So when these people started, because you don't know, uh, and you don't have the time and the manpower to test every combination possible of one dose versus two. Uh, traditionally, in immunology, away from the vaccines, we always have a tendency to do boosting, to do boosting so we can, it's kind of refresh your memory, right? Uh -huh. We know that you have your memory, you remember. Uh, the incident, but somebody will come and refresh your memory about who was involved in the incident, or if it was a football game, Manchester United beat Chelsea, they're actually playing today. <laughs> I don't know what the score is they're playing right now. So uh, the results from the clinical trials were, were such that uh, everybody felt comfortable that the, the second dose was necessary in the context of the clinical trial only okay that's very important because that's a controlled experiment and in that controlled experiment they deemed it important to have the second dose but they didn't deem it necessary to have it okay okay so so this is what happens so now these people got their approval uh at least for emergency use they start vaccinating people and then we got stuck in the production cycle. Because we got stuck in the production cycle, those people who voted to approve it before uh, didn't think this through as a whole cycle. They thought mm. through that their job is just to approve it and go home. Oh, yeah. Those people, they are responsible for the approval because part of the approval, you have to make sure that you have sufficient doses to meet the need for two jabs instead of one. Mm. It's funny, they didn't do that. But as they start vaccinating people and then they got into trouble of production, then they are saying, oh, maybe we can get away with one dose. Mm. And this is where these conspiracy theories really get their uh, fresh air from, is mm. what people do stupid things like this. Yeah. They open the small door for criticism, antagonism, mm. and once these things start going in the social media, the conspiracy theory 
is like a tsunami building behind it. Yeah. The good thing is we don't know how long these vaccines last. We have yeah, no that was what I was going to ask. Yeah, the, the vaccine-induced immunity. Yeah. Because we just started vaccinating people a few months ago. We have no mm. data to say. Mm. So that gives us an opportunity down the road to vaccinate uh, or do boosters for people, mm. which we do for a lot of other vaccines. And the boosters typically they're five or ten years period later on in your life, just to remind you of that story, right? It's just boosting. Uh, but when you look at it, Francis, it's amazing that the first companies that want to get the uh, approvals, they decided to do these two doses. And then you look at a company like Johnson & Johnson, that their approval was done literally yesterday, and their meeting was held on Friday at the FDA, uh, were very smart. They sat back, they waited what everybody else was doing, and to them they said, okay, actually we're going to do a different marketing exercise and say we're going to do windows, we're going to up and because we do windows, we're going to beat the other guys mm. because our vaccine doesn't need to be stored at very cold temperatures, and you don't need to jabs, you need one. And you see that Johnson & Johnson, it's like almost uh, kids playing in a sandbox. Mm. And one kid will watch what the other kids do, learn a few tricks, and he knows exactly how to get to the end. Yeah. And this is what J&J did. Uh, this means for me that I think if people miss the second dose, it's not the end of the world. Uh, they can wait for a booster as long as they can get their booster they should be fine because they have that memory cell. Yeah. Now, if it turns out uh, a year or two years from now that the nature of this virus is such that the immunity doesn't last for very long, then that becomes a whole different conversation because it means that are we going to take these boosters all the time? Is it's this going like to be a flu jump? Yeah, flu jump every year. I hope we don't get to that. Mm. I really hope that if we can uh, stabilize the uh, what's left of the propagation of the virus, if we can allow this virus now to adapt because it's going to be here, I think this virus will harm us less than when the pandemic started. And I think we'll be able to live with it. And I think if we can even vaccinate a certain number of population, uh, the natural immunity will take over. And this thing will become more like a rhinovirus than the flu virus. You know, the flu season, we had a lot of rhinoviruses up our nostrils, and they really don't make us that sick or actually kill us. But we may get a runny nose one day, and it's going to clear in a couple of days. How probable do you think that scenario is, that it becomes like that? I think, uh, I think it's highly probable with one condition. Mm. Uh, we have to address the... Uh, inequality of vaccine distribution around the world yeah. because we are all tied together so you can't just vaccinate britain and hope for the best yeah. uh, you know, britain needs to vaccinate and help vaccinate everybody else to hope for the best mm -hmm. because what i am really concerned about francis is the new discrimination of this uh, health passport yeah and i think we're going to use it as 
a racial tool, as a discriminatory tool, and some countries will abuse the hell out of it. Mm. Right? Yeah. So it's going to get to the extent you show up to the airport with your, uh, you know, health passport, and then they say, well, you know, we still have to do this test and this test. Oh, Francis, you didn't take our vaccine and you're coming to visit China because we don't believe in the Pfizer vaccine, you're out of luck. Mm. Either you take our vaccine today or we have to send you back home. And this is what I'm afraid of because yeah. of all this political uh, situation around the world, in part thanks to the former President Trump, uh, <laughs> we're going to suffer the consequences of that uh, in few years to come, you know, especially uh, to do with anything that's China or Chinese. Yeah, that worries me. I think that worries me a lot. Yeah, because I, I was looking into Covax because um, I mean I'm I'm originally from Ghana. I was actually born there yeah. before uh, leaving, and I think Ghana is the first country yes. out of the, the list of poor countries that's that's yeah. received um, a batch of um, vaccines. And I I could already see the process of that potentially being an issue in regards to like the vaccine passport and the discrimination that comes with it because it's almost like another barrier now. So now instead of just having the immigration barrier of entry, now you're gonna have this issue of um, vaccine passport and which vaccine have you taken and where was it from because i can already see some of the um sort of like propaganda being propagated online in regards to the idea of oh the trust of the russian and the chinese um and the indian vaccine so it's like it's already being put out there in the air and it's, it's a very likely danger of that being used as discrimination that you described and i don't know how that's going to work out i don't know the effectiveness of the COVAX system and how that's being distributed and monitored and what where do we go from there because one of the issues with the distribution to the poor countries was the the talk of infrastructure so they said ghana was given it because they had the necessary infrastructure in place to distribute it but what about all the various poor countries that have no infrastructure whatsoever let alone one that could potentially be improved on so is there a plan in place for for these countries I think, you know listen for me uh, I, I, I think we may be in a good shape if a uh, few people in the world keep their mouth shut <laughs> yeah uh, and one person in particular is Bill Gates mm. he needs to keep his mouth shut he needs to completely we know he's rich he's worth billions of dollars but he puts his nose where it doesn't belong and each time he speaks he creates so many issues that fuel conspiracy theories uh, across social media and i think he's in my opinion for this pandemic the chief antagonist of this whole pandemic and i really wish that him and his wife and members of his foundation if they can give money to kovacs to help it Yes, that's a good thing, but please do us a big favor, keep your mouth shut. Because mm. he has been antagonizing all of that. Mm. The second is the Chinese propaganda machinery, mm. uh, I think has been completely ruthless with respect to Western vaccines, with respect to what the Western countries are trying to do. And I think the United States had a really strong absence on the international scene. I think with uh, the Biden administration, I hope we're going to see changes in the next six months, mm -hmm. that we're going to kind of almost level the field in terms of all these vaccines. Why is that important? Because we don't have leadership at the level of the World Health Organization. Mm -hmm. I think Dr. Tudros lost his credibility. Uh, yeah, from the get-go. Yeah. And that organization is so corrupt now, unfortunately, because of the leadership, uh, 
they lost that really stand uh, in the world. You know, he can condemn and criticize all the rich countries and all that. You know, this is what I call, you know, populistic uh, 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 talk, right? It's, it has no bearings. He's not a politician, so he shouldn't be speaking that, that language. Mm-hmm. I think COVAX is part of another organization called Gabi within the, uh, the, the World Health Organization. And Gabi has been extremely instrumental in not only vaccinating kids in very rural areas in third world countries, but also uh, uh, you know, putting together makeshift uh, hospitals, you know, makeshift doctor offices, so they can do a lot of things from a dentist to uh, your eye doctor to uh, a general doctor, general practitioner, the GP who's going to check you. So Gabby has built an impressive infrastructure that I am sure is ready to get going. The biggest issue they have with COVAX is a lot of these uh, CEOs of these pharma companies were not ready, politically speaking, to start giving COVAX quotas of vaccines. And you have to understand that since Biden arrived, uh, COVAX has changed. Mm-hmm. Uh, because now there is, uh, I would say, uh, a mature man in the room who's going to take decisions compared to, to before. And I think COVAX will rely on huge investments from the U.S. And I think last week there was a few billion dollars injections in COVAX from the uh, U.S. government. And I think COVAX will work extremely well with USAID which is another organization that operates uh, in many third world countries, helping them, especially for, you know, uh, uh, giving food to the poor countries. So when this different organization starts working together, you will see what we can achieve in those countries. But to be able to do that, you need to have a political will, right? And if there is, because as you see, Francis, in Europe, it's a mess. England yeah. is no longer part of the EU. Mm-hmm. Even the European Union start turning against Britain and blocking shipments of vaccines from Belgium to London. Yeah. You can already start. So if this happens between countries that a few seconds ago were friends, mm-hmm. uh, how can you do the same comparison with third world countries? They have no money to pay you for the vaccine. Mm-hmm. This is, I think, what I, I see as uh, an opportunity for what I call the health diplomacy that China started playing several months ago. And I think they are doing well because they're finding these soft pockets where they are going and giving, you know, 200, 300,000 doses of vaccines as kind of, uh, you know, goodwill gesture uh, because we are such a good guys. But these are the people that created the mess, right? So now I think the balance is coming. And I just hope that we're going to see uh, more and more involvement of COVAX, Gabi, USAID, other organizations that have an exceptional skills to work in terrain that's not accessible to, you know, paved roads and, you know, driving regular cars. These are trucks, these are four by four, you know, sometimes these are donkeys going up hills, down hills, mm-hmm. taking these vaccines there. So I am, I am optimistic on that front. I think uh, the Biden administration will, will really stir things to the right direction. 
And I think we have to be, uh, uh, you know, a little bit vigilant and worry about what China is playing behind the scene. Mm. Uh, you know, some countries, you know, it has been praying in some South Asian countries and accepting their vaccines. Some countries have, some countries don't. Then once that don't, there are going to be some economical consequences of that. So we are back to the old, you know, to the old game that China has been trying to play for years. Yeah. It seems to be a lot of um, power play in place as well. And I've always had the issue with um, the donation of uh, small amounts of vaccines. And when we're talking about vaccines, 200,000 donation that makes no difference in terms of like the overall like efficiency and effect that it's going to have on a nation of millions of people because if you vaccinate 200,000 people what happens in six months time in seven months time when that potentially wears off and we all know how it's going to be distributed when you do donate to slightly poorer countries it's going to be a hierarchical system where it's not even going to go by you know those who are vulnerable it's going to go by those who can afford it and those in positions of Power. So that alone is already going to cause another problem in itself anyway. But, um, so prior to me getting you on here, I, I decided to, well, regrettably now, I decided to post up on my Instagram a questionnaire. I said, anyone that has any questions in regards to vaccines, please throw it to me as I'm going to speak to someone who's in the know. And it was probably the biggest mistake of my life because it, it, it kind of made me realize how many, <laughs> it just made me realize how many people have issues with anything in regards to like the medical field and particularly vaccines and covid and i had so many within the first two hours so usually with these questionnaires they stay up for 24 hours within yeah. the first two hours i had about, about 170 questions chaotic oh. ones like all sorts of stuff that i thought no this is not going to work like i mean it's an hour plus podcast i'm not you know i don't have the whole time in the world and half of them don't you can google most of them anyway you, you know the answers are there it's just a lot of weird and wacky stuff but there was a few questions that kept on like reoccurring so i'm gonna just put those to you now sure. if, if time bearing um, so one of them was um if i've been vaccinated can i spread the virus so people wanted to know if they, they're still um they're still carriers and potentially spreaders of the virus if they've been vaccinated uh, very good question. The the data we have so far suggests that the vaccine will give you systemic protection in most of your body, except mucosal protection, which is in the nose mm -hmm. and to some extent in your mouth. So potentially uh, you may still be a carrier. You're not going to get sick, but if you have a high enough viral load, you can infect somebody else. That's why we keep saying, even though you get vaccinated and you get your two doses, please keep wearing a mask. Mm -hmm. When you are in situations with people that don't live with you uh, and you're outside your normal environment, such as your home or the office you work at. Uh, I think in uh, perhaps a year, two years time, when we accumulate data, as people get vaccinated, remember earlier I spoke about the vaccination grid. Once you have the grid in place, then when you go and do contact tracing in a grid that you know exactly how many people were vaccinated where they live, you can address that question very easily. And I am cautiously optimistic that you're going to see that there'll be less spread and you're going to see that there'll be less people getting sick. And that's going to be a wonderful thing to have. But for now, please, even if you have your two doses, keep wearing the mask. Okay. At least uh, 
Yeah, um, I've got two more from that talk from my social. So the next one was: Do vaccines have abort aborted fetal tissue? No, they don't. Mm. Actually, this is, uh, you know, there, you know, there is something happened that's extraordinary, and it never happens before. Um, these companies that have these vaccines, they are keeping the recipe so secret. So we only know certain aspect of what's in it, but the exact composition is secret. Uh, what happened, uh, I think it was a, uh, a couple of months ago, um, uh, some guy, bless his heart, and uh, I hope he's healthy at the World Health Organization, he published by mistake on their website the exact recipe of the Pfizer vaccine. Uh, by mistake. But yeah. what I think I think what he did, and I think this guy at some stage should be uh, rewarded, and I think given a medal of sort, uh, he really addressed the elephant of the room of all this uh, uh, conspiracy theories with the anti-vaxxers. You know, it has fetal tissue, you know, for the Muslim population, it has pork tissue. Mm -hmm. uh, for other people who have kids who are worried about autism, as an example, you know, it has uh, aluminium in it, it has this in it. The reality of the matter is the Pfizer and the Moderna are the latest technology where we have less of these things in there. They are 100% synthetic vaccines. Mm -hmm. They don't have a single product of an animal or of a human. Mm -hmm. Absolutely zero. Uh, the vaccine from AstraZeneca, I can speak to the AstraZeneca, perhaps to J&J, uh, the same vaccine produced by the Russians in China. I have no idea what they put in it. But I can tell you the, the way they do uh, the production with the AZ and the J&J, &J, the uh, control manufacturing of what ends up in the vaccine is ex extremely tight because they have to conform to batch-to-batch -batch variability. And all these products are non-existent in there. They, they, they don't use them at all. And that's a complete myth, and I think this is one of the uh, propaganda machinery of the anti-vaxxers, that they want people to feel uh, those kind of things. You know, for me, even uh, incredible that they targeted the Muslim population to talk about pork, understanding the sensitivity of that population towards pork. Okay, yeah. That, that goes perfectly into the, the, the one of the questions that um, I received as well. They Someone wanted to know if the vaccine um, recipe was copywritten and if it can be independently examined because it seems like it's held, as you mentioned, it's, it's held very tightly locked um, amongst certain like pharma groups. And what's the reason behind that? Is it because it's copywritten and can this be independently reviewed? Uh, yes, the, so let's let's be clear. Mm -hmm. uh, regulatory organizations in every country will know exactly what the recipe looks like before mm -hmm. they give approval, okay? So that's that's the reason I mentioned mm -hmm. the case with WHO and this nice man or mm -hmm. woman who uh, <laughs> published their recipe. Mm -hmm. uh, the reason these companies hold these recipes to their heart, they are afraid of reverse engineering. 
they are really afraid of people copying and you don't want to start seeing the black market full of these vaccines mm. okay uh, if you recall at the beginning of the pandemic people were selling white powder as hydroxychloroquine yeah right so we have to always uh, keep in mind that there are unfortunately so many scammers around the world uh, there are people who are afraid for their lives for the lives of loved ones they may pay what they can to get the vaccine and you may get these scammers doing that and this is one of the reasons that those recipes are kept a secret if you recall for several months now we keep hearing about you know the russians hacking into a company astrazeneca mm. stealing the formula the chinese hacking in another company stealing the formula and is there some truth to it i don't know uh, could it be conspiracy theory highly likely but those companies keep their trade uh, uh, secret secret because they are afraid of people mm. copying it producing it and also they are afraid of scammers Mm. And that's the reason why we have to be uh, uh, careful with that. And also we are during a pandemic, so we can't send, uh, you know, the kind of police that looks for fake medicine around to check everything. We are in a kind of tough situation right now. Yeah. Um, they, so it, right, there was a report recently, well, not a report, there was a news um, um segment recently in regards to that exactly in the dark web that people have already started selling vaccines on the dark web and a lot of it was mainly placebos and stuff but people are so much in fear that it's created a massive market for it so i do understand that whole process of like keeping a close your heart but you know as we know now with freedom of speech and the internet and stuff whenever there's an element of secrecy it always leads the mind to wonder and it leads those with creative minds to create massive narratives in order to push an agenda and, and so forth um i remember our, our last conversation we we made it possible i don't know if it was me that made a prediction or you but we made a prediction about going back to some level of normality in 18 months and it's coming up to about a year in april is going to be a year what, what do you think is going to happen in the next seven eight months i don't think i, I don't think we're there yet i think uh yeah. uh the new norm we start hitting it beginning 2023 oh, uh, i think uh, because you i mean you can just see yourself how how slowly things have started just by vaccinating people mm. and how uh, issues with production of these vaccines uh, are going. And I think until we hit those uh, milestones, I think the uh, normality, the new norm, we start seeing it. Uh, definitely, we're not going to see people not wearing masks anytime soon, even if they are vaccinated. Uh, I think I'm cautiously optimistic we are on the right track. I am very pleased to start seeing, at least in some countries, that we're getting this equilibrium of uh, infections. Mm -hmm. uh, we are start seeing less and less people in the ICUs that are sick. Uh, we're seeing less and less people with clinical manifestation. It doesn't mean that we are out of the uh, tsunami of this virus. It just mm -hmm. says that we start seeing the light at the end of the tunnel. Uh, it's just we have to change our mindset that this virus is here to stay with us. And we shouldn't start thinking that by miracle or as uh, the former President Trump said, one day the virus will disappear, disappear. by itself. Yeah. That's not what happened. 
uh, I think the, you know, uh, the biggest uh, achievement that happened is getting these vaccines. Mm. Uh, I think that's a really huge achievement that uh, people do not appreciate yet uh, what relief it is uh, to have this uh, three or four approved and there are many more in the pipeline coming. Uh, it's unfortunate it's going to take some time and it's unfortunate that all the infrastructures for productions are linked in or they are now getting into this uh, cycle of politics of protectionism and I hope uh, that will kind of start you know winding down in the next few months. Uh, I am also uh, happy that we have uh, uh, Joe Biden as president of the United States and I think he's setting up this because you know COVID is in uh, list of priorities is actually number one and uh, not just for the United States but globally and I think his advisors are smart to understand that we our economies our world is so intertangled together uh, just fixing the US is not going to be the answer and we're going to start seeing missions from the US going to some of these countries, uh, as I said earlier, helping COVAX and Gabby, you know, vaccinating people as much as we can, as quickly as we can. You know, the, the kind of the catch here is a time. We don't have the luxury of time. We have to vaccinate as many people as we can. In England, if the uh, numbers that uh, the Boris Johnson People are saying it's true that 20 million at the moment. 20 million at least got the first dose. Mm -hmm. That's actually very good. Yeah. Uh, I hope they. I hope they continue that, and I hope they really change gear. I know they've had a lot of problems with supply, mm -hmm. thanks to their former friends from the European <laughs> Union. Mm -hmm. It happens. You know, now it's all about business and each one protecting their interests. But if if Britain can reach 50 percent. I think that's going to be exceptionally wonderful news, you know, especially if they can achieve that in the next couple of months. You know, we start seeing the stress going away from the NHS, giving time to those docs and nurses uh, to really take some time off and recharge their batteries. Yeah. Um, interestingly enough, here in the UK, we've been given the date of the 21st of June as our independence. Independence Day. So um, <laughs> um, the most, the, the highly trusted Boris Johnson said that um, it's an irreversible, um, it's an irreversible stay. So once all the lockdown regulations have been lifted, they're hoping that it's, it becomes irreversible. I mean, he's very trustworthy. He said many things in the past that he stuck by. And um, yeah, we're, we're all hoping to hit the streets, get drunk, party, touch each other. And, you know, um, what, what do you think is going to happen? So this is a point of my question. What do, what do you think is going to happen once the, once we get our Independence Day on the 21st, particularly here in the UK? Because they, they're targeting that by that time, the idea is to have um, had the idea is to have given the um, vaccine to everyone in the um, in the most vital um, group and then offer it to the rest of the adult population. So yeah, we're we're, we're free on the 21st. What what happens then? I I. Uh... I really think Boris Johnson must be good at playing Monopoly and I'd love to have a game of Monopoly against him. Uh, it's, it's really uh, unusual and very premature for political leaders to talk about medical issues and health issues and provide, uh, you know, dates like this. So he has done two things by saying that. He's really changed the mindset in England. 
So mm -hmm. people don't care anymore because D-Day is coming regardless. And two, the people who were willing to be vaccinated, now they are thinking twice about it. Because the, uh, the data I saw uh, uh, before I joined you today of the resistance against vaccines in England has shifted from about 25% and now it's a little bit over 60% in a span of two weeks. You see what happens when politicians open their mouths. Uh, you know, he shouldn't be talking. You know, uh, you know, as an example, when Joe Biden talks, uh, he says, I want to do 100 million doses in 100 days. And, and he's trying to rally people to wear masks. Uh, uh, and he's not talking about when life gets to normalcy. Uh, Dr. Fauci has really made few mistakes each time he gives them a date and then he changes his mind, almost like Boris Johnson. Why? Because everything is dependent on so many parameters that Boris Johnson cannot control. Mm -hmm. And the people who are advising him cannot control. I hope that at the end of this, Parliament will have one of those grandiose investigations into all this whole mess. Oh, yeah. uh, I, I think people are tired in England. I think people have been locked down for so long. Uh, I think uh, families with kids are tired because, you know, the kids have nowhere to go, nothing to do. And I think for him uh, to be a presentable leader is to try to be on TV every other hour to get people excited about the vaccine, to get people really geared to get the vaccine uh, and really getting people to understand that England doesn't live in a vacuum. And if England gets a D-Day and Europe doesn't get a D-Day, it doesn't help England, mm -hmm. right? Uh, because the, 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 the people in England want to travel, they're not gonna be able to travel. Uh, the European wants to travel to England. So uh, all these issues, I think, kind of, uh, it's, a, it's an unfortunate comment from his part to say that, uh, because March is around the corner, right? So March is almost, what, four weeks' time, and you haven't even reached 50% of the population you want to vaccinate. The stress level of the NHS in England hasn't gone down yet. Right, so they are still really at a high a kind of uh, uh, occupancy of people in the ICU, and the people out on the street are just tired. So I don't think England will get its D-Day uh, the end of March. I don't think it's going to be in June. Uh, I think when you start seeing something positive coming out, if the issues of supply of the vaccine and vaccination on the ground Will, it, will be enhanced. I think it's going to be probably at the Christmas time. Okay. No, sooner, no sooner than that. Yeah. Uh, and I think it's sad because the fear uh, that I keep telling people is when politicians speak like that, the mindset changes, people start becoming complacent. Yeah. Because I mean, they are complacent, you know what happened at the end, we're going to get a rebound of cases. So yeah, he's going to... Yeah, he's going to add more hassle uh, for things that if he kept his mouth shut uh, mm. and just keep being positive about the vaccine and getting people to really uh, think seriously about getting their jabs in, you know, t together, 
as a society to help open the UK again, I think he would have achieved a better response than seeing the rate of people who are not sure about vaccines anymore creeping out. Mm. And that's going to be tough for him to change the minds of these people. Yeah, it's most a- definitely. Um, the, that's that's very true because two days after he made the announcement, I was driving towards my parents' house and the park opposite where they live is usually completely empty. I've been driving there yeah. for the last year or so; it's always empty. It was absolutely packed. It was ridiculously packed because the mindset had changed in, in people. Yeah. So as as my final question, so last time we spoke, we made a eighteen month prediction. So next year, when I sit down with you around the same time next year, um, how is the world going to be looking like? I think I think next year the, that's going to be April 2022. Yeah. I think we're going to see uh, a gradual opening. I think we're going to see people getting back to their new norm. It's not the old norm. I think we're going to see schools open. We're going to see less stress on families, uh, especially if both parents are working, looking after kids. I think we're going to see economies in some countries kicking back in gear. Uh, people getting back to work. Uh, we're going to see uh, the health infrastructure stabilizing, and we're going to see a lot of commissions and a lot of investigations. Mm. Uh, this is what's going to be uh, amazing for me because, as we talked earlier, Francis, Pandora's box just on the healthcare system was opened by this pandemic, and it had it's almost kind of painted out, uh, if you will, uh, some of the notions of why we have obese people, uh, why people are scaring us of these new variants of the vaccines, and these companies saying they can make a new vaccines to the variant, why we're going into these circles of fear and neglect all the time. Uh, and I hope that some countries will do the right thing and have these kind of investigations uh, or, or commissions to really understand why they were not prepared and why they messed up. And I think in every country that people have the right to know. And, that, and I hope this is going to happen. And, uh, uh, you know, we're not in the old days where we had people that I think some people deserve to go to jail for a long, long time for what they had done you know, mismanaging this pandemic uh, where we could have lost a lot of lives and we could have destroyed economies that were built in the last, you know, 15, 20 years. It's really sad to see where we are today globally uh, and where we were just a year and a half ago. It's sad. Yeah, I think to me, I think accountability should be a key thing. But here in the UK in particular, we're great at putting together reports. We've had a McPherson report. We've had all sorts of reports when it comes to mismanagement with, with issues with government. But in terms of accountability, nobody is ever held accountable. So I know there's going to be there's going to be a lot looking into it. There's, they're going to they're going to produce all of the reports in the world. But in terms of anyone being punished, going to jail, even held accountable. Um, it, we're not going to get public apologies and the thing that our, our politicians here are privy to doing either. I mean, even recently, um, 
is it, is it Matt Hancock or one, not Matt Hancock, but one of the politicians had given out massive contracts um, to friends of his to produce PPE during the time when they were supposed to be auctioned out to various vendors. And all of this stuff is kind of just popping to the surface where friends have been handed 36 plus million pound contracts, you know, and they said it was, it was to speed up the process because we're going through issues, but there's protocols that governments are meant to follow. And this, is, this has been a massive failure in protocol on many levels and millions of people have died and hundreds of thousands in various countries have died as a, as a cause of it. And I do hope and do really, really hope that people are held accountable and particularly those who were meant to um, lead the charge for this. So, yeah, we, we, we hope to see that there's been massive changes next time we speak and hopefully those who needed to be held accountable are held accountable and we, we, we see a massive decline in the um, infection rate and also the death from this terrible virus that's that's plagued us for the last year and a bit. But Doctor, as always, it's been an absolute pleasure speaking to you. And I, every time I speak to you, I feel so much more knowledgeable and relaxed. Relaxed, I think, is the key word in regards to, I think particularly when it comes to your tone and how you explain things, it makes us laymans that don't really understand the medical world, world really, really get things. And um, yeah, I feel much more relaxed and, and, and a bit more positive about the vaccine. I've, I've always felt positive about vaccines in general, but not for myself in particularly. But in terms of those who I feel definitely they do require it because I do know the people that it affects. I mean, I've got parents and family members that work in the medical field, so I know the people that are dying from it. I know the people that are seriously suffering from it. So I do think that, I mean, if you've got a choice in between the two, being seriously ill or taking a vaccine that you know you're worried about is going to have an effect on you in two to five years i think the vaccine is possibly always a better option and you know historically yes there's been issues with vaccines but also there's been massive um pathogens that is prevented from wiping out humanity so you always have to have a balanced look at it and learn how to source out what's what's right information to what's misinformation and what's straight propaganda and conspiracy so yeah the internet doesn't necessarily help but you know having positive um conversations about it, open conversations about it, hopefully enlightens people and that's what I hope this conversation does so it's been an absolute pleasure and I really really thank you for your time and hopefully we'll catch up again 12 months from today and we'll look back at our discussion now and see where we are as a society and as a world. Sure sounds yeah. it sounds like a plan and uh, be positive I hope your listeners shouldn't be afraid of these vaccines yeah. uh, we shouldn't be afraid I mean my final Two words is they shouldn't be afraid that they were developed so quickly. Now the development started 20 years ago. Yeah. Uh, I think it's good that it started 20 years ago, that they didn't have to reinvent the wheel. I think it's good that we have various regulatory agencies uh, still watching these things. The only thing that they failed to watch for is the manufacturing aspect of it. Uh, and I think even if you get vaccinated or you're still waiting to get vaccinated, please keep wearing a mask if you're outdoors if you're away from the environment that's under your control such as your home the people that you live with the people that you interact with this way you know that you're safe this way you know that you are not part of the chain of infection if you do that you if everyone can break that chain uh, i think we're going to stabilize things much sooner uh, than uh, 2023 at least that's my prediction Thank you, Francis. Have a good Thank one. Thank you very much. Yeah, what, what you got planned for the rest of your day? It's been an absolute pleasure again. I, I